My first meeting on Monday mornings is with a guy named Kramer Payne. Kramer is our uh, hospitality director. Last year, he interned with me and kind of followed me around for nine months because he really feels called ultimately to be a part of the pastorate. Monday mornings, we get together, just kind of hang out and talk about life. And what Kramer didn't know this past Monday is that he was actually a part of a social experiment. He walked into my office. So I'm sitting in my chair. He's sitting in his chair. And as we begin to talk, I put my fingers on my chin and began to, to move them back and forth like somebody does when they're about to say something profound or they're really, really thinking about something. Not that I was doing either one of those, but, and within 30 seconds, Kramer put his fingers on his chin and started to talk to me like this. So I thought, let's press it a little bit further. So as we were talking, both touching our chin, I put my right leg over top of my left knee. And within 30 seconds, Kramer did exactly the same thing. So I thought to myself, well, I'm two for two. I should at least be doing it. So I, I began to talk a little bit animated about the conversation we were having. And I leaned forward in my chair and I started really talking with passion to Kramer like this. And he completely messed me up because he sat back and folded his arms and kind of looked at me out of the corner of his eye. But I figured at least two out of three is not bad. Now, before you think that Kramer is just easily influenced or that my brain's just a little bit twisted, I want you to think about the fact that every single one of us does this at some level, Okay. Have you ever been in a conversation with a group of people from the deep south and suddenly found yourself talking with an accent that you never speak in, right? When I, when I was pastoring in mid-central Canada, my wife used to laugh at me because I would, I would promote concerts and we'd have concerts come. Normally the bands came from the deep south and within a day of spending time with these guys, I'd get up in the evening with a microphone, introduce the band and my wife would give me the hardest time because I'd walk out there and I'm just like, how y'all doing? All y'all, it's so good to be here today. I'm so glad that you're here with us today in the house of God. It's going to be a great concert. And Laurel's like, where is that coming from? It just kind of, maybe you've noticed this. Have you ever been in a room with somebody that yawned? What happens, right? All of a sudden, everybody, right? Well, Psychology Today published an article that actually identified the phenomenon that happens when we begin to mimic those around us, we all have a natural inclination to mimic people. They call it the chameleon effect. I put it in your outline this way. It's our natural inclination to emulate our surroundings. Now, the cool thing is we tend to emulate people more if we like them. So Kramer, I love you too, bro. Okay, all right. So, but it's also based on the fact that we have this natural tendency to want to blend into our surroundings. It's like it's programmed into us, both in negative ways and positive ways. We have a tendency to chameleon. In the simplest terms, we tend to hide. We tend to hide within the framework of wanting people to like us. We tend to hide when we somehow feel threatened. We tend to hide when we're not exactly sure how to act. We tend to hide when we want to be accepted because we're afraid to be rejected. And this tendency has been around since the dawn of time. If you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app, Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to go. Adam and Eve have sinned. They've disobeyed God's loving boundary to stay away from that one particular tree in the Garden of Eden. Satan baited them and they bit and now they're going to do what comes natural. And the Bible describes for the first time humanity's natural desire to hide, to chameleon, to just blend in. Scripture says this in Genesis 3, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool of the garden of the day. 
And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Adam and Eve hid and we've been hiding ever since. All of us do it naturally. We don't even mean to. We hide from our past because those failures are just really difficult for us to face. We hide behind an inflated resume because we don't think anybody would ever hire the the real us. We hide behind our desk because the thought of actually having an interactive conversation with the other people from our office is just a little bit too scary for us. We hide in our man cave because we don't want anybody to know that even as a guy, we're absolutely terrified that we're one decision away from completely blowing up our family. We hide from the truth because sometimes it's just too hard to hear. We hide from our weakness because we think our weaknesses ultimately are going to be our undoing. We hide from ourselves and we hide in the backdrop of the world around us. If I could make an admission that I'm going to talk about for the next couple of weeks, I spent most of my life hiding in Christian subculture. It's a scary place to hide. Hiding in that culture, living off an addiction of pleasing people and doing whatever and saying whatever I needed to as long as the outcome was that you would like me. Lived there for years. It took understanding how God just seems to have a distaste for people that want to just blend in with their surroundings It seemed that in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 calling me out where everything kind of shifted in my brain. Galatians 1 verse 10 says this. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now some of you are reacting right now. You're just like, I don't do that. I'm an individual. I stand on my own. I don't blend in anybody's backdrop. I'm a self-made human being with my own opinions. And if you want an opinion, just ask me and I'll give you one. We just believe that somehow we pop out. Can I ask you a question whether you've already identified with the blending in or identified in the opposite with the I stand on my own? Let me just ask you a question. Against what background do you stand alone? The background of popular culture or the background of Jesus? And I remember a moment from my quote-unquote rebellious college days. I grew up, uh, I, I, and then I went to a Bible college, and, and I lived on a floor, a residence floor. It was at Whitaker Hall, first floor, and we were known as the rebels of the campus. We were the guys, you know, the staff and the faculty, they're not going to break us. We're standalone. We're going to rage against the machine of institutionalism. You know, that's just us, and we're really, really stupid. And anyway, and our theme that year, our theme that year was dare to be different. Dare to be different. And one of the ways we chose to live out our natural rebellion was as a floor, a residence floor, was to get matching hockey jerseys. So think about the irony of this, okay? I'll never forget standing in a group of guys wearing matching black hockey jerseys that said, dare to be different on them. (laughs) That's really smart. Wow, what a group of rebels you are, right? Talk about irony. Every one of us has this pull. We hide in crowds. We hide in popular opinion. We hide against the backdrop of wanting to be liked. We want to be liked by people and pursuing that. We often forget to consider that if I'm liked by people, where do I weigh in that part of the equation? The love of God. 
A God who calls us out of religion and into a relationship where we do have an opportunity to chameleon, but it's not against the backdrop of popular culture. It's against the backdrop of his love, mercy, and grace. John Newton was a slave trader. He trafficked in human beings. He bought into a culture that bought into and actually endorsed the selling of human beings until Jesus called him out. Jesus called him out of what was normal in his society and into his own spiritual freedom. You know John Newton better because he wrote a song that most of us could sing by heart. Amazing grace. God got a hold of John Newton. He changed him. And Newton had this struggle inside of him. He wrote more than just a song. In fact, he wrote many, many uh, unbelievable passages about his own life. I quoted him as your outline today. He said, I endeavored to renounce society that I might avoid temptation. But it was a poor religion. It left me in many respects under the power of sin. And so far as it prevailed, only tended to make me gloomy, stupid, unsociable, and useless. God called him out of his hiding. He called him out of a set of religious rules that seemed to defy his direction and wanting to follow Jesus and living in that tension of what does it mean not just to be in but not of, but what does it mean to be of but also sent into. So Jesus calls us every single day as a follower of Christ. He calls you out of your hiding, calls us to die to ourselves. He calls us to crucify that part of ourselves that wants to dance between his kingdom and earthly values. Jesus calls us to put to death that natural part of us that actually considers the acceptance of fellow human beings more important than the acceptance of a loving Savior. He calls us to stand out against the backdrop of our natural understanding and our natural surroundings and to hide ourselves against the backdrop of his holiness. The Bible says this in Colossians 3. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. So he's talking to believers. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life, listen to this, is now hidden with Christ in God. Adam and Eve hidden the trees. Humanity hides behind a series of masks that we put up because we just don't want to get hurt again. And Jesus Christ comes to each one of us, calls us out of that natural tendency, and he makes an appeal. I know you naturally want to hide, but hide in me. Hide in me, knowing this, when you hide in me, you are going to feel exposed in this world. But don't fear, because when you stand out in stark contrast to the world, its ways and its values, I will protect you. This is the tension for us, right? Because we know what happens to a chameleon that will not chameleon. It becomes dead, right? It becomes lunch to some predator. And we're terrified. And we have to stand back now and say, okay, God, if I blend into the background of your glove and grace, what it means is I'm going to be fully exposed. I'm going to be the opposite color of what culture calls me to. In that moment, do I really, really believe what we learned last week from John 15? When Jesus prayed, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. In that moment, when we choose that exposure, we've got to believe That the answer to Jesus' prayer from the Father was, yes, I will protect them. 
That's a scary thought, isn't it? The Apostle Paul practically lays out how this works. First Corinthians chapter 10, he says this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way. Apparently, Paul's got a little bit of people pleaser inside of him too. From not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Chapter 11, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, that is a bold statement, isn't it? Follow me as I'm following Jesus. I mean, I'm standing before you today, and as your pastor, this is what I'm saying. Don't always follow my example. That will not go well for you. That will not go well for you. That will lead you straight to 12 steps in recovery. That's where you're going to go. Just leave me out of it. Follow Jesus. Mimic him. That will go very, very well for you. As far as the guy with the microphone, nah, not a good decision. But what is Paul saying here to spiritual chameleons everywhere? He's saying this, mimic me as I mimic Jesus. That Greek word there, mimites, that's where we get our word mimic from. So this is really the goal. I want to know Jesus so well that when Jesus puts his fingers on his chin, I want my fingers to go to my chin too. When Jesus reaches into the life of somebody who's messy and needs the same kind of grace that I needed, when Jesus reached to me, when his move, my hands want to move exactly at the same time. When Jesus stands up in the midst of culture and says, This may be offensive to you, but there is universal truth. And I love you enough to want to share that truth. When Jesus stands up, I want to stand up too. And it's scary because we feel fully exposed in those moments. So that is so easy to talk about and so difficult to do, isn't it? So let me give you some practical ideas on standing out against the backdrop of the world and blending in with the grace and mercy of Jesus. It's practical, practical stuff. Number one, I'm going to give you two words. And they're all going to come out of John 15, 16, and 17. The prayer of Jesus that we learned last week. Okay, number one is this. Two words. Stay connected. Stay connected. I can't mimic Jesus if I'm not connected to him. Okay? It's not rocket science. Just think about the chameleon effect, right? If I spend more time immersed in the world, picking up the cues of the world... Who am I going to mimic when I actually experience the pressure of life? The world, right? I'm going to be taking my cues from them. But if I spend more time with Jesus, interacting with Jesus, hearing the way he acts, listening to the way that he speaks, in those moments when the pressure comes on, I'm going to develop that family resemblance and I'm going to actually be able to live out what I've learned from him because I'll be taking my cues from him. I can't ca- just casually connect with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. But so many of us want to do that, right? I want a casual relationship with Jesus, but not one that calls me out of the culture that I love, because honestly, blending in just makes me feel good. Where does that fit in with Jesus saying, if you love me, you will deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me? We can't do a relationship with Jesus casually on the side. It doesn't work that way. Jesus talked about staying connected in John chapter 15. Listen to verse 5. I'm the vine and you're the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some really cool, exciting things in modern culture. Is that what your Bible says? Apart from me, you can do pretty amazing things behind your padded resume and your desire to want to crawl up the corporate ladder and succeed in all of the world's values. Is that what your scripture says? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, there's the importance of scripture right there. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When we disconnect from Jesus, we disconnect from our ability to be able to mimic who he is and how he acts. Number two, to live in love in the way Jesus lived in love. I look at scripture and I love the fact that Jesus lived a life of sacrifice and friendship. Listen to his words from John 15, starting in verse 13. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Man, you don't walk out of church with anything else this morning. Know this. You're not just a hireling to Jesus. Whether you deserve it or not, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end looks down at you. And if you have a relationship with him, he refers to you as his friend. That's awesome. A friend that knows what it means to live and love. A friend that knows what it means to mimic the servant king. Because the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Back in the days when people traveled by stagecoach, you could actually buy different class tickets. Now some of you will think about that and you kind of go, what, how does that work? There's only like so many seats, like four seats inside of a stagecoach, two guys on the top, one with a rifle and the other guy like, Driving the horse team, at least according to the Westerns that I watch, right? Like, why would you buy different class tickets? You could actually purchase different class tickets, but it had nothing to do with where you actually sat inside of the stagecoach. Your class ticket was only defined if your stagecoach got stuck in the mud. If you had a first class ticket and the stagecoach got stuck, you didn't have to get out and do anything. You just got to sit inside and wait for somebody to solve your problem. If you had a second class ticket... You had to get out of the stagecoach and just walk along the side. You didn't have to do anything else, but you had to at least lighten the load and get out. And if you had a third-class ticket, guess what your job was if the stagecoach got stuck? You had to get out, get in the mud, grab a hold of a wheel, and start lifting. You actually had to get your hands dirty in what was going on because of the situation. Just so we're clear, Jesus Christ calls all Christians to be third-class passengers. He calls us to do what he would do, to mimic him as the servant king, which means this. When life is messy, we don't sit inside in our insulated little box. We don't just step outside and watch from a distance as people try to get their life unstuck. No, we actually do what Jesus did when he showed up, got his hands dirty in the muck of our humanity, and we mimic him. We dive in the mud because we run towards the messes as followers of Jesus. We actually help people get unstuck. Why? Because we were stuck once too. And we haven't forgotten. So we live 
And we love in the same way Jesus lived and loved. Number three, here's a tough one for some of us. This is, goes against that natural chameleon piece. We expect some resistance and we respond with grace. You know, I get to interact with a lot of people from our community. And as, as the lines in society tend to get a little bit further apart, I'm always intrigued by the social interactions that I get to have. There have been times, and I'm okay with this, where I take shots because people see me as a Bible thumper. Awesome. Thump on, Grant. That's what we're going to do right there, okay? And I got no problem with that because my Bible actually says this. Here's Jesus' words to those of us who want to blend in with the backdrop of grace, but, but dare to think that we could actually stand out against the background of popular culture. Jesus said this, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They'll treat you this way because of my name. For they don't know the one who sent me. If I'd not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father. Now, don't get all freaked out by the word hate, okay? Because as soon as you get that, if you fixate on that, you know what's going to happen? We're all going to become professional victims, right? Oh, this is really hard. Following Jesus, somebody might actually look at me funny if I pray over my lunch. Ooh, that's persecution, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I had a conversation last week with a guy. And it was very, very clear as soon as we started having the conversation that he had branded me as a narrow-minded conservative Bible thumper. I mean, it just, it was just, he basically said exactly that. And I thought, well, that's an interesting perspective. And I had an opportunity. We were actually talking about God's perspective and culture's perspective on life, actual life. I knew that being a chameleon in that moment was probably not a good option. Because I've learned this to be true. Nobody respects somebody who just tells them what they want to hear. They may disagree with you, but they'll at least, exp at least respect you if you're a person of conviction. I've also, as I'm standing there having this conversation with this guy, I've been reading the book of Proverbs. There's kind of that good thing, right? You know, 31 chapters in Proverbs, 31 days in most months. You just read, you know, a chapter a day, and it's just a great way to, to keep your head wrapped inside of all of that wisdom. And as he's standing there, obviously agitated with me and my position, I keep hearing two Proverbs. A soft answer turns away anger. And a word aptly spoken is like an apple of gold in a setting of silver. And I realized something. The man standing in front of me is not my enemy. In fact, in that moment, I believe, this is how my theology works, I believe he was a victim of the enemy. He's not my enemy. He's just a person with a completely different opinion. So we shared our opinions. He shared first. And I listened to him. Because I wanted to be in a conversation. And I wanted an opportunity, as much as I had, to hear his perspective. I wanted to be able to hear mine. Well, you don't necessarily get to share yours unless you're willing to listen to somebody else's. Anybody else figured that out? So he just shared his perspective. And when he was done, I don't exactly know what I said. Have you ever had one of those moments when God just starts talking and then you step back later and go, where in the world did that come from? It's kind of one of those moments. But I basically shared with him this. Look, we're probably going to ha have to disagree. But here's one I know. 
The God that I serve tells me that every life matters. That means my life matters and your life matters. That means that a child, regardless of where it's at in its stage of development, their life matters. And the life of their mom matters and the life of their dad matters. Every single human life matters. And I believe that God, in Scripture, told me always, as a follower of Jesus, to choose life. So that's where I stand. I stand on the side of life because I think God is the one that starts life and I think God has the right to end it and I think his opinion matters because he's the author of life. And this is what I would tell you. What I love is the fact that I serve a God who even if we make the decision not to love life, that his response is not anger and judgment, that his response is grace, mercy, and forgiveness because he wants to always to put the pieces back together. He said, apparently God has... A thing about life, even when we make decisions that are completely counter to what he would lay out as his standard. You know, we didn't agree. But we got to have the conversation. Did I experience a little bit of opposition? Absolutely. But I hope and pray in that moment that my response towards him was the same response that Jesus pushed towards me when I was out there doing my thing, thinking I was completely right and justified in doing so. I hope and pray someday we get to continue our conversation. And you know what? There was a time when, when, when standing out against popular opinion like that would have just completely freaked me out. Normally, I would have walked back to my car kind of like this. You know, it's just like... the. What just happened? Is that, are we okay? I mean, there was a time in my life, my tendency would have been, can we just go back and do that over again? You want a hug? Like, can we just stay together in this whole thing? You like me, don't you? Right? But now I understand, according to Scripture, that even when you make that decision to chameleon against the backdrop of grace and stand out against the backdrop of popular culture, that when you do that, there's a gift that God gives you. I put it two words in your outline, just to rest easy. As John 16, says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. There it is. Okay? So if you think it's all roses after you come to Christ, there it is. In this world, you will have trouble. Here comes the encouragement. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And I've learned this because I lived it. Blending in with the ever-changing backdrop of popular culture, <coughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting. But God actually promises peace that when you go to bed at night, even though other people may not understand you or your perspective, that you go to bed with this knowledge. When you stand out against popular culture, Jesus looks at you and says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's number five. <clears throat> as we get ready to wrap up this morning. I know this is basic, and it should probably go without saying, but I find anytime I think it should go without saying, if I don't say it, I end up walking off going, I should have said that. Two words for number five, no Jesus. You know, in John 17, 3, Jesus actually says this out loud. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
So we're going to unpack this. Last week was kind of a transition week. This week is really the first week in this new series that's going to walk us towards Easter. And a part of it is my story that's fairly personal for me. See, the reality is I've been a chameleon my whole life. And I've spent this last section of my life really trying hard to lose that skin. I've blended into the background of culture for years. And I found out just from personal experience how empty that kind of living can be. And then I made a mistake. Then I tried to blend in with ultra-conservative church culture. (laughs) That was interesting and that left a mark. It really, really did. I tried to blend in with, with a kind of Christianity that looked at everything as just a series of checkboxes and rules. And if you had more checkboxes at the end of the day than you had empty boxes, that one considered a success and you did good. And it was about your uniform and it was about your persona and it was about how well you looked on the outside. And I was just minding my own business, doing what I thought was cool, blending in with the Christian subculture around me when Jesus showed up and completely messed up my life with this messy thing called grace. If you don't think grace is messy, just hang around for a while. You'll see how messy grace can be when Jesus makes the decision to step into somebody's broken existence and not try to just put all the pieces back together, but instead takes all of the brokenness and says, I'll I'll exchange it. You give me all of your garbage and I'll give you something beautiful in exchange. And we'll walk through this process together. And I want to remind you one more time, every time Jesus does that, he looks around for people that are willing to get their hands dirty too and he says, imitate this. Imitate this. This is how I want you to be. Third class passengers, let's get our hands dirty. And in doing so, what that means is we're going to blend in with the background of grace, mercy, and forgiveness, which means we're going to be known by our grace, mercy, and forgiveness, and we're going to stand out against the backdrop of popular culture, which honestly these days is so much more a matter of opinion. Have you noticed that? Universal truth out the window. Now it's just a dialogue about popular opinion. And we're going to live in those moments when God calls us to stand out. And it's uncomfortable and it's difficult. It's like my conversation with a guy this past week where you just kind of, you're not exactly sure, am I doing this right? And God calls us to color ourselves with a different kind of color. He wants us to take on the color of grace. The color of joy. The color of what it means to actually live differently. So let me ask you the question. Knowing that's the cost, have you made your decision to give your life fully and completely to Jesus Christ? Have you punched your third class ticket? Have you counted the cost of what it means to blend in with the backdrop of grace, but to stand out against the the, the backdrop of popular culture? Are you willing to believe that when Jesus prayed to his father, I pray not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be protected from the evil one. Are you willing to believe that the father answered Jesus with a loud resounding yes? 
I'll protect them. Have you counted the cost, denied yourself, taken up your cross, and begun to follow? Have you rejected the empty existence that the world offers and chosen to take on a different color, the color of obedience, the color of sacrifice, the color of mimicking a servant king who calls us every day to get our hands dirty? Have you learned what it means to take your cues from Jesus so that when he touches his chin, you touch yours? When he extends his hands to messy people like we all are, that our hands do exactly the same thing. Have you chosen to run the risk of refusing to be a chameleon in the world where God has placed us. But have also chosen the tension of what it means to blend in with the backdrop. Of the very grace that God used to save our soul. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for this tension. God, thank you for, for an opportunity every single day to make a decision of whether or not we're just going to blend in or stand out. Father, I pray for those that are here today that are followers of Jesus. Lord, I pray we would see this as such a high calling and such a high honor. When we get to immerse ourselves in the backdrop of your grace and mercy, and in doing so, we get to make the decision of what it means to stand out against the backdrop of what happens around us every single day. Father, I pray for boldness for my brothers and sisters. I pray that you would wake us up as the sleeping giant of the church and that we would never be afraid to speak truth with love and grace and mercy and joy. Father, I thank you that you promised to cover us. So, Lord Jesus, would you give us your attitude? Would you teach us what it means to mimic you? God, may we know you so well that when we're in those conversations and we hear you whisper, that we would be so quick to be colored with the color of obedience. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would be speaking to them and calling them out of the backdrop that they've blended themselves into. Lord, I pray that they would respond to you. That they would listen to your voice and walk towards you as you call them out on this amazing, glorious adventure that you call being a disciple of Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would punch that third class ticket and serve to mimic you as a servant in this incredible place that you've gifted to us. Father, I pray right now in the quietness of their heart that they would simply pray, God, I'm tired of hiding in my shame, in my failure. So I come to you right now 
in the broken state that I am, and I simply say, Jesus, save me. Save me from the natural inclination that just wants to blend in. God, save me too, that beautiful place where my sins are forgiven and my hope is restored. God, right now, I give myself fully and completely to you, and I pray that you'd give me the courage to follow and be obedient. God, I want to care more about you loving me than the acceptance of other broken human beings. So God, as you have chosen me, I choose you. And I'm not ashamed of that decision today. So Jesus, forgive my sin. Heal my heart. And use me to stand for your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. <coughs> if you prayed that prayer today, God just called you out and you responded. And I want to thank you for the courage of saying that. I remember that moment for me when God called me out. And my prayer for you today is if you prayed that prayer, that instead of just disappearing out the aisle at the end of the service, that instead you come and talk to one of the people that's going to stand up here across the front. They're not going to do anything weird. We would just love to get to know your name. To welcome you into our family. So Jesus, I thank you for the work that you're doing with those who have already followed Jesus and those who just decided to follow Jesus this morning. God, thank you for the opportunity to count the cost. And I pray that we would live a life worthy of your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people say, You know, one of the ways that you can declare your desire to not just blend in is through something that we call baptism. And next week, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of folks who have made the decision, I I'm tired of blending in with the backdrop of culture. Jesus wasn't ashamed of me, so I'm not ashamed of him. And I want to challenge you, if that's your next step, there's a baptism class after the 11:15 service this morning. And next weekend, we will celebrate with you. We'll splash water over the first six rows in celebration of what God is doing inside of your life. May our hearts be one. To not be of this world. But to gladly accept our responsibility to be sent into it. Pastor Ryan is going to lead us as we respond. Would you stand with us this morning?